Welcome to On The Journey, stories for leaders and aspiring leaders. This is your host, Leo Rodriguez. I'm very excited about bringing you a little preview of what this podcast is all about. Behind it, there is a very simple idea, and it is to give you an honest inside view into the experiences of leaders who are in the trenches that are executing and deploying high levels of leadership today, just like you and me. On the Journey is a platform for them to share and for you to learn how they are traversing that journey. And I want to do this by exploring specifically their transition points, whether they were an account executive or an individual contributor and they moved into a leadership role for the first time, or as they progressed into higher levels of leadership in their careers. Through honest, no-holds-barred conversation, I will explore their motivations, their preparation, their mindset, who their mentors were, frameworks, mistakes, thoughts, and advice. So you can put them into action on your own journey. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader, you have a first row seat to my guest experience, almost like if you can join me and together we can pick the brains. So are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to On The Journey. Enjoy. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of On The Journey, Story for Leaders and Aspiring Leaders. This is Leo Rodriguez, your host. And in this third episode, I had the very special pleasure of talking to Tiffen Dano Kwan. Tiffen, or better known as TDK, is a great, great friend of mine. I love her to death. Uh, we work together at Calibra. But she has a very long career as CMO. She transitioned to the C-level suite at SAP Ariba, then became CMO of Dropbox, then Colibra, where we met and worked together. Today, she's the CMO of Amplitude. And TDK is a very special person. She is an immigrant like me into the U.S. from France. She pursued that goal in her life. And she opens up, she really opens up in this conversation. She talks about leadership being a career service of something that is bigger than yourself and than herself and opens up about her very personal journey into leadership. She talks about how she prepared for the interview of her first CMO role in an overnight flight from Australia and how she thought hard about strategy and how she wanted to tackle the role. She also talks about how it was very hard in that first role in the first few months until she made the mental switch and the decision to lead. She had to make a very conscious decision and she goes deep into what it means to make that decision consciously and then to communicate it to her team. And you will get to hear how a high-level executive thinks about the big rocks or the big buckets. She talks about budget, team. TAM, product, product market feed, and those things that she constantly is keeping her eye on in her career and in her roles. So I hope you learned as much as I did in this episode, all of this and much more in this fascinating conversation in another episode of On The Journey. Thank you and enjoy. Tiffen, thank you very much for being here. I really, really appreciate uh, you giving me some of your time. Um, let me explain to you and uh, the audience what is this podcast about. And I decided to create a platform so aspiring leaders and existing leaders can hear from other leaders in the trenches uh, that are on their own journey um, uh, they, they are executing and deploying high-level leadership today. Um, and they are probably don't have their own platform, right? They haven't been in a tremendous amount of podcasts. They are not super famous, but they are in the trenches. And, and I cannot think about somebody better than you. And you're a little bit of an oddity because you are already a very, very accomplished CMO, uh, an accomplished executive. And, um, and yeah, it's just I, I want to see and explore some of the transition points into uh, leadership. So, you know, you and I met at Colibra, and, and I like to start this with a, a personal note. And um, for, for you, is you and I met at Colibra, and for me personally, it was an instant 
uh, relationship because both you and I come from different countries. We we came to the U.S. Uh, and and develop part of our careers here, and and have our own accents that we wear with pride, and and represent communities that are not that common. Um, I'm I'm a Latino. You represent the LGBTQ community very ardently, uh, and I celebrate that for that for you. Um, I celebrate you for that. Um, but but it's really exciting to have you here, and and I like to start with a simple question. Uh, because you've been in leadership for a very, very long time. Um, what inspired you to become a leader? What What was the spark that, that set everything in motion? Now, first of all, Leo, I'm so excited to have a chance to have a chat with you today. So thank you so much for giving me an opportunity, first of all, to reconnect with you. I've missed you. And, and just um, <laughs> Same. Share, share a few tips and, you know, uh, a few examples of uh, things that worked and things that didn't work so well in my own journey, but hopefully will be helpful for, for our audience. Uh, you know, what inspired me to, to be a leader was very much having the ability to be in service of something bigger than myself. And, you know, I didn't wake up one day to say, I want to be a leader. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. Actually, my actual dream work-wise, was to make it to America. That was my only dream. <laughs> and maybe that's why I became a leader, because it was not about a title. It was not about wanting to become chief of something. It was very personal. I had this big American dream uh, for a long time, since I was um, 16 years old. And very quickly, I realized that, um, you know, I had to, to work really, really hard to to get to this country. It doesn't happen just, uh, you know, by, by circumstance or by luck. You just have to work really hard to, to get there. And as you work hard and you take measured risk and you meet incredible people, opportunities come along. But, but I didn't seek out a, a leadership role, if, um, if that makes sense. I was seeking out a destination. And along the journey, right. since you're talking about a journey, something sort of started to come up more and more. And usually you sense this a little bit in yourself, but sometimes it's others around you who are actually seeing your potential before you see it in yourself. And, and that's how I became a leader. Somebody gave me an opportunity to apply for a role. Well, I, I would have never imagined being ready for that role and took the jump. That's great. Um, so I, I can't relate more about the sort of the dream of coming to to the U.S. and into North America. Um, that that was for a while my dream too. And and this the, the second thing that you said is a common theme that is others trusting in you more than you trust yourself. And and that seems to be a common thread uh, along with um, a lot of the people that wants to actually. Or, or aspire to a leadership role. Um, so, so thanks for that. I, I'd like to explore like your, either your first leadership role or one that, that was more consequential. Like uh, when, when you first became a leader or when you became like a C-level executive, whichever you wanna, you wanna pick. Um, talk to me a little bit about the prep. Like what did you do to prep yourself to that role uh, either consciously or or through mentors or through education. So I'm I'm going to tell you the the conscious part and the unconscious uh, natural part. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I'll start with the unconscious. I actually really think that every step you take from the moment you start your career leads you to a certain point. And I'll tell you that story was a true one. When when I started my career, I was an intern. Uh, for MicroStrategy was an incredible experience. I was in Paris. It was in the early 2000s. And I had the opportunity to do another internship in Canada, in Montreal, for one of the partners of MicroStrategy. And I stayed there for six months. It was incredible. And the the boss I had, when we... When we parted ways, when I said goodbye to him, I was ready to go back to France 
He looked at me and he said, Tiffin, you may not know it yet, but what you just did, the past couple of months you spent will be consequential in your career. And I was like, what do you mean? And it's like, well, everything happens for a reason. And our paths cross for that reason. And one day you remember that what you just did in the grand scheme of things, there was a reason and purpose for it. And I never forgot that. Never forgot that because in a way you want to believe that every step you take, whether conscious or unconscious, is going to lead you to um, the journey that you're meant to be on, right? And truth be told, because I did that internship in Canada, I was able to secure a job in Australia because I had the the international experience. So you see how it connects, right? And then that job in Australia allowed me to land a job in Singapore, which then allowed me to finally make the jump to the US. So for some reason, things connect. Things you can explain and things sometimes you can't. Right. the, The thread across all of it are the people you meet along the way. And the people are gonna be either your bosses, your sponsors, your advocates, and and gonna help you with your next step. And I, I think that's the unconscious part I'm talking about is that you don't quite understand it yet when you live it, but it's all connecting and working towards supporting you well, as long as you have a will, as long as you have a plan. And and I, I think that along the way, you're learning a lot of hard skills and soft skills, right? Uh, another advice I was given as I was living in Australia was, it doesn't matter how good you are at performing, what actually matters is how people enjoy working with you. So that was, well, maybe mm. I was in Australia and then they're very friendly over there and they just want everybody to be friendly. But I remember that because uh, I, I really think, that especially in leadership, the soft skills really matter. And it, it's not enough to just perform. I mean, the performance is a given. You can't even just go to the next level in your career unless you actually perform. It's really how you make people feel and how they interact with you. Are they enjoying working with you? Are they creating friendships out of the relationship that they have? Do they want to see you again? Do they want to work with you again? And one of the things that you learn in leadership that what makes a great leader is somebody who actually fosters a following and uh, wanting to make sure that people want to continue to follow you, work with you, uh, work alongside you. Uh, and I think that's the most important part. And and that to me is just the way you are, the way you carry yourself, how you grow into, um, you know, your your own journey as a as a leader. And the unconscious part is that more often than none, people are starting to see in you elements of leadership that you may not have perceived yourself. And that's very common, right? And that's why you have mentors and sponsors, and that's why they're so important. And that to me is a part that grows as you grow with it, but until you really experience your first leadership role, it's all guesswork and it's all hopeful, right? So now to your question, how do you prepare? Uh, for your first leadership uh, role, which is the most conscious part. When I I think it was in 2017, I was at Reba. I had been at SAP Reba for about over a year and a half. I was coming out of SAP. And the CMO of Reba was just announced as becoming the big CMO of SAP big jump for for her and and she was my mentor she was my boss and at the time i was a vp of product marketing and solution marketing for Reba. and i started getting pings from people to say tiffin you should put your hat in the ring i'm like what are you talking about (laughs) i said you had the ring for the cmo job and my reaction was like you kidding i've been here for two seconds and i was just uh, given the, the the product marketing role a few months ago. And then I talked to the CMO, or Alicia Tillman, and it was um, one of the most defining conversations I had in my, in my career. 
And she said this to me verbatim. She said, Tiffin, somebody gave me a chance once when I was young and I didn't believe in it or I couldn't see it in myself. I chose to trust that what that person saw in me was, was right. And it gave me a head start. And I want to pay it forward. And I see that in you and you have potential. And I really think that you're going to create a following. You're going to be a great CMO. And she managed, obviously, to convince me. But then I had to actually prepare for the interview. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, had a, I was on a flight back from Australia to San Francisco. So it's a long flight, one way. And then I was like, yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to prepare this. <laughs> so I didn't sleep for the, the time of the flight and I prepared a deck, a slide. And I thought deeply about how I would think about positioning myself for the role. And as I was thinking about it, I realized I actually wanted it. And preparation matters a great deal. And you have to think about obviously mm -hmm. you are as a person. What are your qualities? What are you going to choose to, to put in front of the, the interview panel? And then and how you would actually put together a quick plan on how you would operate in your first 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days. Right. That was a game changer because actually it turns out I was the only candidate who had prepared something that I was ready to show. And <laughs> I think that those 10, 11, I can't, I can't remember how many hours I worked on it, really paid off. But careful what you wish for, because <laughs> I actually was able to articulate my, uh, my rationale as to why I should be chosen as a CMO. Um, you know, a few weeks later, I, I received a call. I was in France at the time from the president said, Tiffin, you got it. You got the job. And I was like, what? wow, I was completely, completely impressed. But I prepared for it and I put my mind into it and I was determined to get it. And I was like, I'm going to give the best presentation I can. I'm going to put all of the efforts that I can, everything that I had in me to get the job and, and to pass the interview. And I did. So there's something to be said about really wanting something. It doesn't mean you're the best because believe me, I was not the best CMO uh, on my first job, but I wanted it. And I think it starts by really wanting the job and, and you prepare by projecting yourself, by, by really consciously working on, on the things that you believe are important to position. But I learned that coming prepared actually pays off a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fa fantastic story. I, I, there are so many things I could pick apart and, uh, and kind of go off. I, I think I'll, I'll talk, through the couple of things that you said. The first is the unconscious and is getting, uh, getting like, like everything that you do will tie up with your future. And I think for, for those that are aspiring to a leadership role, sometimes they don't, they don't put enough effort. They look at what they're doing today as transitional because they want to get there and they miss the chance to really maximize the opportunity of the transition. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that I, I typically discuss with aspiring leaders is to, to be there first, you gotta do this right, right? So you gotta do what you're doing today right, you gotta accomplish, you gotta attain, hit your numbers, but more importantly, maximize that chance because that never comes back. Like you, you can't be a leader and look back and say, well, I missed the chance to be a really great marketer, or a VP of product. I was there, but I didn't do it because I was so caught up in trying to scale. So I think what I take away from your unconscious part is don't miss the chance to actually maximize the job that you're doing now because that's going to connect with the future, right? And like, like your mentor said very, very truthfully. And then... The other one is, I think you did it in nine hours, which I think is genius, right? You prep for a role in a nine, 10 hour flight. Um, but it does make an impact when somebody shows up prepared and they really want it. Um, I, you and I interview a lot of people 
and we can tell very quickly who was prepared and who's not and who wants it and who doesn't. Uh, it's very, very clear, very apparent of what happened. So um, thank, thanks for sharing that. What are some of the things that once you were in the role, you found out, like what are the things that you thought they were one way and you found out they were another way, you now are a CMO, probably a lot of peers, um, a lot of peers are now reporting to you, like t talk to me through that transition. It must have been pretty hard, I, I assume. It was really hard. I, I, I will say it's not for the fainted and I can see Dan and all my ex-colleagues who may listen will surely nod and, and remember I was not at my best <laughs> when I started. First of all, because I was scared and it's okay to be scared and it's gonna happen. Why? First of all, because I was fast-tracked into this role. Uh, to your point, the people who were not just my peers, but some of them, one of them had been my boss previously. They end up reporting to me. Right. Imagine the, the, the weight on the shoulders and the responsibility. And then of course, you have to take after an incredible CMO who is now becoming the, the CMO of the mothership and one of the best CMOs in the world. So <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> you know, at risk. Um, so, so it was hard. It was really hard. I, I won't lie. It's just, um, uh, it challenged me to my core. It challenged my beliefs. It completely disrupted my way of being, my way of thinking, my way of living. And, you know, there were some difficult moments. Um, and, of course, nobody made it easy on me. Because, you know, it's like a pack. It's like a pack of animals. You got to know who's the leader. And when the new leader right. is unsure, that's very, very uh, unstable, right? So for, for a few months, it was unstable. And I take full responsibility for it because I, I knew it was hard. Um, however, one day I woke up and I decided I wanted to leave the pack. And again, you have to consciously, it needs to be a conscious thing. You need to consciously decide to lead. And it has to be something that you want, but that's something that you have to formulate. And you need to make sure that you make it very clear to your team. And for the first time, perhaps in, in, a, in a long time, maybe in there, instead of becoming the potential leader, the natural one that everybody believes can be, you actually have to be one. It's very different. And I literally scripted it, believe it or not. When I made that conscious transition, when I decided and I wanted to be a leader, I had to have a few calls to set very clear expectations and very clear boundaries. And it was very hard. But I had to do it. And that I felt completely empowered by it. And it immediately stopped the chaos, the drama, the uncertainty of the teams. Everybody knew where I was standing. I had to make also very hard trade-offs because obviously the, the people who see you a certain way, been friends and others, they're going to see yeah. different parts yep. of you. And you have to almost be um, mourning the relationships you had with those people because now you're their boss. And it's the hardest thing because at heart, I'm a people person. I love people. But you can't just be just people and a boss. When you have to be a boss, you have to actually embody the function. You have to take a higher level of responsibility and you have to set very clear expectations and boundaries. You can't be a good leader unless you do that. And I had to force myself to go well above and beyond and do it. It was hard, but I did it. And I felt empowered by it. I think that the team finally knew who they had in front of them. And that's how I emerged as a leader. So it was almost like, you know, a, a snake that changes the skin, like you are yeah. mutating to someone. Uh, that's a problem. Absolutely. You know? um, and it didn't happen easily, but I did it because I think fundamentally I wanted it. And fundamentally, I was like, I'm not going to let 
anyone take that away. I worked too hard for this and I really want it. And I think I can be a good person. And the one thing if that helps just to close off, that's something actually my wife said to me because she saw me so depressed and so taken by the whole situation. She said to me this, and that's how it clicked to me. She said, nobody is asking you to be the super CMO. How could you? It's the first time you're doing it. And suddenly I realized, I'm like, oh my God, I'm putting so much pressure on myself to be like the right. CMO, but I never had the experience. So when finally I realized that, then I realized, well, I'm going to have to wake up every day and do my best. And doing my best going to have to be enough. And if it's not, then then maybe I have to do something else. So be it, right? Yeah. 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 But yeah. at some point, yeah. you can't just, there's, it's no way of living if you wake up every day and you're like completely crippled by it. It's like you have to decide at some point to be like, I know I'm not yet the great CMO that my predecessor was because I know I didn't have that experience. One day, hopefully I will. But for now, I'm just going to do the best I can and we'll see. And by doing that, it freed me from guilt, the guilt of not being the superstar CMO. And it freed me from this sort of pressure you have to put on your shoulder. The other thing it did to me, which I think is fundamental to any leadership transition, is I started to ask for help. I started to realize that... I actually need the team around me to be successful because clearly I don't have the experience. So I depend on the people who have the most experience. That was another switch in my leadership um, uh, approach is empowering, empowering people, accepting vulnerability, embracing it, in fact. And um, this, to me, was the most amazing turn in, in, in my career. And I dare to say it actually reverberates in your life as well when you do that, because you realize, hey, I don't need to be the superwoman. I don't need to be the smart right. room. My job is to hire the best. And that's when you become a leader, when mm -hmm. you realize that it has nothing to do with you being the best, has everything to do with you hiring the best and making sure they reach that potential. Yeah. Well, Tiffin, there is so much that it's funny. Like I think about these interviews um, that I want them to go one way, but the the, the guests normally give me two hundred percent of what I expect. And I love how you went very personal on on your on your journey to a CMO. Um, there are a couple of things that I that caught my attention, and I feel so identified sometimes. Like. You know, when you said you, you you made a conscious decision to become a leader, right? The, the pressure was so high. The, um, the, there was a little bit of unselling in the team because some of them were your bosses before. Some of them were your peers. And, and, and the words that you said is I woke up one day and I totally believe you woke up one day because those are the things that, you know, you, you go to bed with and you wake up and you make a conscious decision to do it. Um, I, I totally believe you. It was it was one day, and um, it, it was that that of a snap, and, and it happens in a snap. Um, the other thing is that you scripted your conversations, right? Or you scripted that day on how you wanted to go. Another thing I feel identify like people sometimes look at you as a leader from the outside, and they think you have it figured out. And I cannot tell you how many times I scripted conversations, I scripted presentations, I, I scripted forecast calls, I. I don't do it as much today, but I used to do it a lot, particularly because of the language kind of difference, but I, I want to come off really polished and, and I, I totally see it. Like you want to clarify your thoughts, clarify your message, um, putting pressure on yourself. Like I'm, I'm sure you were aspiring, not even to your predecessor, you were aspiring to an ideal that was in your mind that you want to hit and that reframing that your wife did is that what some of the great leaders do they reframe the situation and they put themselves in a position where uh, they can succeed so that that in itself i think is a great set of messages for people that are aspiring as leaders so really appreciate it what what are the like now that you are in a position that like you've been in in these large leadership roles um this is a little bit of a tricky question, so you, you take a few seconds to think, but 
as you go through your leadership journey, there is people that you trust deeply that work with you, probably in your journey, right? What are the qualities of the people that you deeply trust? What do they have? What are the things that they display to you that make you trust them and, and, and work closely with them? So what a lot of them have in common is that I know that what they say, they do. When they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. They are incredibly reliable. Um, a word for an action. If they tell me we can't do it, then I know they can't. But if they say, yes, I'm going to commit to doing this. I know I can trust them. And you know, it's everything. I remember hiring, uh, when I was at Calibra, an incredible event leader, Mary Bracoloni. She came yeah, I know her. As, as a contractor, highly recommended. And I was freaking out because I was just starting and I was supposed to deliver a big event and we were late on registrations and things. And she comes on board, <laughs> she decides to help. And I looked at her and said, Mary, are you going to make the numbers? Are we going to get there? And she looks at me, she's like, Tiffin, I think we will. <laughs> and there was a way, and I knew she was extremely senior, obviously, but we will. And we actually really went above um, the numbers. It was an, an incredible event. And then each time she would be able to tell me whenever she knew whether we would make the numbers or not. And events, for those who are listening, and there's some of the most stressful things you can do as a marketer. Uh, but to me, if I can trust the person who advises me, who works with me, that I empower, that what they say is actually going to happen, it's a huge relief. So the reliability of being able to do what you say, say what you do, is really important. Which leads to another one, um, Always tell the truth. It's that simple. I know it's hard because especially what I what I learned in the American culture is there's a way of being polite with people. Um, yeah. In, you know, in Europe, the, the people are very direct. You just see eye to eye. Are you going to tell me the truth or not? It's, it's pretty easy, right? It's uh, if they don't want to, they're going to be like, Bye-bye, hasta la vista. I'm going the other way. I don't want to. <laughs> I think here, only because it's the politeness of the English language, people don't want to hurt your feelings. They want to be polite at all costs. So sometimes it's it's a little bit more nuanced, right? And it's, it's part of the charms and the beauty of the language. But you have to understand those cultural differences. And it took me a while at first, but now I understand when I have people saying, now oh, it's fascinating, interesting, or pausing. I'm like, oh, oh, there's a problem <laughs> right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. yeah. But tell the truth. It's really important. I can take the truth. So that's what I say to people. I said, don't think you're going to hurt my feelings. You will hurt my feelings if you don't tell the truth. And don't think that I can't handle it because I can that's what I do. That's what leaders do. We're here to handle the truth and, and, and to do the hard stuff. And, and, and when you have that and you just really tell people what matters to you, the values that matter, so trust, telling the truth, being honest and very forward, it puts people at ease because they know where they stand and they know that, okay, what matters to Tiffin is you need to deliver on what you say you're going to deliver and you need to tell the truth. And, and I think... This is, this is what I see in the people I surround myself with. They're incredibly strong. Some of them are some of the best leaders I ever had. They're really strong people, strong personalities. But when you're reliable and you tell the truth, I would not change a th single thing. And, you know, I value that those leaders the most because they're unstoppable. And if you can actually earn their respect and, and, and help them, and help them succeed, yeah. you will get the best. And that's what I've seen. Yeah, fantastic. It's, it's not an easy question, and you, you aced it. No, I thought about it. Because um, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I love the. I used to say a high say do ratio, right? So when when you say that you're gonna do something, you, you do it. That creates a lot of trust. And um, I think the truth. I I never thought about it in a way, but I, the way I manifest it is, it's it's like I I don't have a lot of tolerance past the first lie. Like it's very hard for me to trust after that if if it's truly a lie, right? I think sometimes people lie it to themselves or culturally they don't want to they don't want to be direct. Um, so in in your business, like you've been a CMO multiple times now at Calibra, um, at, at now at, at Amplitude, before at Dropbox. When you come into one of these roles, right, with it's, it's a very high, highly visible role. Um, let's say we have in the audience people that aspire to that. What are the when? Obviously, there is a lot of things coming at you. What are the three or four things or five things that you look at immediately, like as a from the professional standpoint in the role? You know, when you land in the role, what are the four or five things that you're going to touch very quickly and that you look throughout your career? So I, I usually have uh, five or six areas I always scan for, always. Um, one of them is um, basically the business, so the, the TAM, where where is our market? So... Do we have a big enough TAM? What is it made of? A product, customers. So you have to to look at it. So that's uh, that's the first thing first. Do we have a do we have a TAM and how are we position on that TAM? That's number one. Number two is do we have targets that are aligned, budgets and targets are aligned to capturing the TAM and are these realistic? So I usually do a deep dive on marketing budget, marketing KPIs. This is f very uh, central to my belief to lead with data and, and take a data-driven yeah. job. So the TAM, the budget, and the targets. Of course, I'm going to look at the product roadmap. And it's like, do we have a product market fit? Like if we have a TAM, do we have actually a robust offering? Is it competitive? Is it based on a good pricing and packaging and licensing model? Do we have a healthy NPI release uh, that connects product engineering teams with go-to-market teams? So that's the third area. The fourth one is, do we have actually a story to tell that makes sense, that is relevant, that is differentiated? What is our messaging? So this one is uh, all the way from brand all the way to platform product differentiation. And and that's usually one of the first areas that I'm gonna actually start actively working on because if you don't if you don't have a good story, it's very difficult to to do anything. It's at the core of everything. And I have a t-shirt rule, which is if you can doesn't fit in a t-shirt, you can't sell it. Uh, so I, I I have come to do that a few times now. Uh, with a few slogans um, shared and restructuring the whole messaging is critical. So that's the fourth area. The, another one is I fundamentally believe the purpose for me, the purpose of marketing is to be a profitable and sustainable engine of growth for your company and for customers. So I'm obviously extremely pipeline driven and revenue driven. So it matters a great deal. But when you when you start working, you know, with companies who uh, are a certain size, and uh, you know, I've been working now with companies of various sizes, but it's usually above 200 mil all the way to a billion or two two billion. Scale matters a great deal, and one of the dependencies of it is infrastructure, IT systems, infrastructure. So that's the fifth area I really look for. Is like, do we have an IT and systems and operating backbone? that allows us to scale and, and automate demand processes um, and, and streamline these. And these are especially important when uh, a, a very big portion of your budget um, 
is is based on demand gen and pipeline, or even more importantly, when uh, your pipeline, your company pipeline depends on marketing as a source. So, so to me, it's, right. it's really critical. And the last area, uh, which I'm scanning for, is uh, people, the org, and that that to me is really important. The voice of people, uh, and and how how the marketing organization is is set up, right? Uh, do we have the right level of seniority? Do we have the right span of control? Do we have, um, you know, a good ratio of people executing, people building, people running? You know, the, there's a lot of math involved in this and, and thinking. And perhaps the last area, but it, it sort of transcends everything, is the customer. Is the customer in love with the technology? that you um, you're putting in the market because and that should be I guess one of the first questions you should ask in an interview when you go for a company are customers in love with the product because it doesn't right. matter how hard marketing can work on fixing messaging or pipeline if your customers if the customers don't love the product don't like the product yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that makes things <laughs> a little bit more difficult so let's just say it I think I think you and I have a little bit of a common experience on that. Um, but yeah, I, I love this playbook because first of all, the true mark or the mark of a true professional is you throw this question right and you know, stream of conscious. I I know you're doing this day in and day out, and you're looking at this, and it actually taught me a couple of things for for my next assignment here. So I really appreciated you being detailed on that. And I know there is a lot of sub-bullets, right, under these. And, and there is a lot of learning throughout your journey. But, um, but for anybody that is as aspiring at a C-level role, I hope everybody understands that the high level that you're managing, right, very, very high TAM, budgets, people, customers, product, those are all things. And... The other thing I like is it would be very easy for you to be all marketing. And I don't care about product. I don't care about customers. Like, I, I care about the messaging, the KPIs. But actually, this is a team sports, right? It's, it's the pipeline. It's a team sports, no, right? I often say that team sport. I actually learned that term from you. Um, but I, I tell the team often in marketing, I say, we don't do marketing for marketing. We are a broker. We have to actually support the entire organization we have to work hand in hand with go-to-market teams. One team unified, focused, mm. integrated. Right? I think that's the that's the magic here, and we can never be disconnected from the customer. Never. The minute we are, this is game over. Right? Then it, it means yeah. that whatever we produce is disconnected from the customer. So, so, so to me, I I really don't think of marketing as a function that supports a marketing effort or channel or program, it really is uh, much broader. It makes it more challenging, but tons more exciting. Yeah. Well, look, um, I could go extremely deep on any of these things. You're giving me like the gift of knowledge here, but I know you're a very busy, um, very busy executive. So I'm going to reward you in a way, um, kind of starting to wrapping this up because you you've shared things that are priceless, right, for, for hopefully the audience that is coming in. But I hope I can have a couple of questions. One, um, is that okay if we close with a few quick questions? Yes. Um, so, so, so the first one is a little bit of a brainy question. So if you look back, and I, and I know I heard some of your personal story when you were back in France, um, in, in your early youth, right, between infancy and adolescence and maybe early early 20s was there an, an episode in your life or, or a string of episodes that are informing who you are as a leader today that gave you some rules yes. gave you some values and that you learn and you're applying today at, at this level there's actually one um i love to hear it when i was uh, 13 years old i was a girl scout uh, so I grew up in a Catholic environment and I was a very turbulent girl. I was a tomboy and then my parents <laughs> went to the the scout 
you know, uh, organization and say, can you take her? <laughs> Let her have fun Put her. Outside and get some structure. And I, I love my time over there. We were just spending time outdoor, but there were a lot of structure. And, you know, when, when you are a, a, a scout, you're organizing patrols, right? Um, bands and you, you all have totem names. And ours was uh, a deer. We were called the deers, right? And I had, I was completely in awe with the chief of my patrol. And we were like five or six girls, right? The chief of my patrol was like 16 to 17. I was 12 when I started in 13. And then I, I started going up the ranks of the patrol. And, um, you know, what happened over a summer, we would do a summer camp. There was an incident that happened and one of the members of my patrol had to leave the camp because her boyfriend had sent her a letter, except he sent the letter to the owners of the place we stayed and they got really offended, <laughs> whatever that was written. And then the, the chief, one of the people responsible for the whole camp, basically asked my friend was in my patrol to come and they did something quite offending. They asked her to read the letter to them and burn it. Oh, I know it's crazy, right? Uh, because it was appropriate mm -hmm. or whatever. And then as a result, 24 hours later, parents come in, take the girl. And then she was forever out of the, of the uh, scout camp. And it had a profound impact on all of us. We cried for days. It was really hard because she was part of a family. She was our friend. We could not comprehend what had happened. And then fast forward a few months later, I was coming as second in my patrol or whatever. And I remember having this big circle of all the chiefs of the patrols, or whatever. It was this big, big, big gathering. And they come and said to me, Tiffin, we would like you to lead one of the patrols. And then I don't know where it came from, but I stood up and I said, thank you, but no, in front of like 20 people, <laughs> like tiny girl, I was 13. And then yeah, cour courageous. The yeah. person who asked me because she was the offender uh, who had done this unthinkable thing. And I basically said, here is why. And I was at 13 and I said, I do not accept the way you treated my friend. I find it completely unforgivable what you did. This is not what I signed up to do. My values are different, and therefore I will not take this because I don't want to have to respond back to you for what you did. And then I left. <laughs> and there are moments like that, and you're like, wow how did that come up? And I, I was very eloquent and everybody came to see me after and they were shocked. They had no idea it had happened this way. It was the first time someone had the courage to speak up. It, it profoundly affected the balance of the whole thing because after that, the person felt really terrible, didn't realize how bad it was. I mean, it created a, a complete chaos for a few days. Right, right glad I had spoken up because it was a big deal. Like you don't do that, you know? So that's the first time I realized that when I speak, I actually can speak very eloquently and I can be very clear about standing for my values, standing to protect um, people in my patrol. And that was perhaps my earliest memory of leadership. That is that is so personal and so beautiful, uh, Tiff. And I think that speaks to your courage, um, your your guts to to talk, you know, truth to power, and and that it was manifesting so early. And and I can tell you, I've seen you in action, and and that's that's very very apparent even today. So there, there was a it, it was an early glimpse of who you become. Um, so thanks for that story. I, I think we all have in our early youth episodes that basically shape who we are and, and start showing who we will be um, if we ever become leaders. So just to, just to close, and again, um, just to close, I, I want to hear quickly what, what does Amplitude do? Um, are you hiring? 
And uh, where can Buddy find you? I know it's a tricky question these days, but I'm sure there, there are probably some positions that you're hiring. And this is going to come in. It's February 14 now. Happy Valentine's. But this is going to come in a couple of months from now. But tell us a little bit about Amplitude. Are you hiring and where, where people can find you? Um, so I, I will say this for Amplitude. If people want to know, it's quite simple. Everyone can sell you analytics. We give power to your products. That's what we do for a living. What does that mean? It means that we allow product teams, growth teams, marketing teams to really harness the insights that they can see within their products. And it can be any kind of product. It can be a digital product, e-commerce product. It can be a burger for what it is. Whatever <laughs> company product you have, we tap into the analytics of your product and we make them speak the growth language. That's what we do. That's why we launched a slogan that says power to your products, because we actually believe that one of the key to unlock growth productivity for companies lies in the product. So that's what we do for, for a living. Yes, we're hiring. So that's the, that's the great part. We are, we are actively hiring a couple of roles. Has it slowed down? Yes, of course. You know, we're very mindful about the, you know, um, our, our hiring, but we're fortunate to have a, a few uh, roles open. So I encourage everyone to check Amplitude.com and just look at our career area. If you're interested, you can also reach out to me directly. I will connect you with the, the hiring people. And we're very, very excited about what we are, what we are doing uh, right now in Amplitude. We've been growing. We are, we're a public company. We are also based, um, our headquarters is in San Francisco. It's a lot of fun. I'm actually in a small cubicle here nice. in the office. It's great <laughs> to be back in person. Yeah. Well, thanks, Stephen. I, I want to take a second just to celebrate you as a leader. You are uh, an amazing, amazing leader. You're an amazing woman. Um, I'm very <laughs> grateful and, and honored to cross paths with you. And I'm so happy that you said yes. So. We had an excuse to reconnect and, and talk through some of your experience. Um, I learned a lot from you, and I'm sure the audience will will do too. So we're very privileged to have you on the podcast, and, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Leo. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like this or any other episode of On The Journey podcast, please subscribe, like, or comment in your favorite podcast platform. This episode of On The Journey's idea, writing, recording, and production was created by me, Leo Rodriguez, and it was edited by Martes Multimedia, owned by Ricardo Urdaneta. You can find Martes Multimedia or Ricardo Urdaneta through Upwork.